Morning, folks. <clears throat> Sorry about the little croak there, but uh, I'll keep taking the lozenges. <laughs> What's the difference between involvement and commitment? Perhaps best illustrated by your fried breakfast. The eggs that you have in your fried breakfast provided by the chicken who's involved. But the bacon that's in your fried breakfast is provided by the pig and he's totally committed or she's totally committed. <laughs> and I want to talk today about the difference and how God wants us to be involved more than involved. He wants us to be involved in commitment. Let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's by the way the lake of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats to the full and they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, <clears throat> Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. I wonder what the focus of this story is. Is it the crowd? It's certainly an extraordinary sized crowd, and they're so big <clears throat> that they're actually pushing Jesus into the sea. So he has to get into a boat to be able to continue to talk to them. And the crowd had probably got bigger because if you read the previous chapter, the end of the previous chapter, an extraordinary thing had happened. <clears throat> Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law and then in the evening it says they brought all kinds of people with all kinds of sicknesses and diseases to Jesus and he healed them all. And people who were demon-possessed were being delivered and the demons were coming out and crying out as they did so because they were being delivered. By Jesus, So I suppose the crowd was a big part that day. But I don't think that's the focus. Was it the floating pulpit? I mean, it wasn't extraordinary because actually you read a couple of chapters previously and Jesus had already used that technique. Jesus actually was quite happy to use all kinds of pulpits. It could be a mountainside. It could be a living room. It could even be a cemetery. He used whatever pulpits came to mind. But I don't think that's the focus either. So, if it wasn't the crowd, it wasn't the pulpit, what was it? The focus, I believe, wasn't just on 
the crowd or the people, but I believe the main focus is Peter. Peter, who is a follower of Jesus, yet he's on the periphery, he's on the edge of this story. When you first read about him, it says that he was washing his nets after having spent all night fishing. And he's not listening to Jesus, he's not engaged in the um, teaching that Jesus is involved. He's the disciple, in fact he's going to be the leading disciple in due course, but he's on the edge of things. He's involved, but he's not committed. And the reason he's like that is because he is compartmentalized in his life. You see, he had been called, read chapter 1, and you'll find that he'd been called, and, it, and Jesus already said to him, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he'd left the nets, and so did James and John, and they'd followed Jesus. But clearly, somewhere along the line, they were back in the business of fishing. Called but not committed. He was not listening to the teaching. He wasn't hanging on to every word of Jesus. He'd been called by the disciples. Do you remember that Peter was there when John the Baptist had said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, and then was invited by Jesus to come and see. Do you remember he had received a specific call in Matthew, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, to follow Jesus. But here he's back at his old trade, called but not committed. So what stopped him? What diverted him from being committed? And I want to say it's a problem that affects a lot of believers today. Some would say a majority of people attending church are often called but not committed. So what's going on? Well, they've received Jesus as saviour, but they struggle to properly make him lord of their whole life. And as a result, they're bumping along the bottom of their salvation, not fully realising it. You see, Peter was a very successful fisherman. It's possible that he was in business, as we say, they had partners James and John, and it was a significant business. But that's not what he was called to be. That's not what God wanted him to be. And it's that reason of being called but not committed that Jesus sets up this incident so that he can be involved in his life and change him. The problem is compartmentalized lives. Jesus is about to do something that will shatter Peter's compartmentalized life and bring this time a permanent turning point in his life. This was going to be a significant moment in Peter's life. I want to suggest, guys, that we're a bit like that. We're fairly compartmentalized people. Men tend to be compartmentalized. We're like a box of eight, you know, with the little packets inside. Compartmentalized. There's a packet for a uh, work box. There's a packet for tinkering in the garage or under the bonnet of the, roof of the car. There's a package for watching TV. Package for... All kinds of little things, and woe betide you women if you get involved in trying to mix up what's going on. In other words, you try to have a conversation about the kids when he's on the TV or when he's reading his newspaper. Compartmentalize life. Women are, are slightly different. You tend to be like spaghetti. Every bit, every noodle touching each other, every thought, you know, you're crisscrossing. It's... It's quite interesting. But I can still say that believers who are women can still have compartmentalized Christianity. 
And I want to give a bit of free marriage advice at this point. Men, you need to create a box for listening to your wives. Because they desperately want to hook into your life and become part of it and feel connected. Women, here's a bit of advice for you. You need to ditch unrealistic expectations of your husbands and communicate clearly so that when they ask, what do you want for your birthday? Don't say, well, you should know. We've been married for X number of years. Tell them. They live in boxes, men particularly. <laughs> Peter was living in a compartmentalized life. That's why he was back to his fishing. He believed that Jesus was who he was and taught great teaching. He loved to be in his company and he watched him teach and preach and heal. And he's seen some very significant moments like that night when all these people of different diseases and sicknesses were all healed just a few days earlier. But there was a family to support. There was a business to run. Being spiritual didn't bring in the paycheck each month. Spiritual things were good for church and to provide a moral framework for the family and have some decent friends. But let's not get over excited about all this. What could spiritual things do to help him in his work? Let's get practical about these things. And that's why Jesus set this incident up. He was addressing Peter's compartmentalized thinking and he was there to seek to bring him into what God intended him to be. You see, the problem with his compartmentalized thinking is he wasn't going to become who he was meant to be. Peter would go on to become the leading member of the twelve. He was also the leading member of the inner circle of three. He was going to be the guy who people would look to and who would provide advice. He was going to be the guy on the day of Pentecost who would preach the first sermon. And hundreds, thousands of people came to know the Lord. And Jesus saw down the line, but he could also see the way that Peter was going, he was going to get there. See, do you notice that Jesus never asked permission to use Peter's boat? He specifically identifies Peter's boat. There's two boats there, but he picks the one that belongs to Peter. He doesn't ask for permission for the, to use the boat as a pulpit. He simply gets on board and begins to preach. And I want to say, Jesus can do that. Because all boats belong to Jesus. You see, my boat is where I spend my day. It's where I make my living. And to a large degree, it's how I live my life. It could be the bus I drive, the office I manage, the family I feed, the transport I use. Those are my boats. And Christ comes along and shoulder taps us and he reminds us, you drive my truck, you work on my job site, you serve my hospital wing, and to all of us, he says, your work is my work. But I want to tell you, he didn't stop there. He didn't just stop at getting in the boat without permission. He goes further. And in Peter's case, he commands in the area of his expertise. He says to him, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. See, here he is talking to a man who is dog tired after an all night shift, who's washing his nets and knows that if he does what Jesus asked him to do, he's going to have to do it all over again. He also knows, as a fisherman, 
that night time is better to catch fish. And they'd been out all night and caught nothing. It had been futile. And here's the professional. And there's the amateur. Does the carpenter know more about fishing than the fisherman? And you'll notice his words. He's polite. Master, he says. That means rabbi. Respectfully. Instructor, teacher. We've been out all night. We've tried to catch fish all night and not caught a single thing. Nevertheless, because you ask it, we're going to do it. And then something absolutely staggering happens. The sea begins to boil around the boat. There's flashes of silver fins all over the place. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy moment because it seems like all the fish in the sea of Galilee are heading towards those nets that's, that Peter has just put down. And it's one of those moments where you can only say it's a God moment. Totally a God moment. So many fish were coming into that net that the nets were cope, not coping with it. So he calls in his mates, James and John, and they come alongside and they put their nets down. But despite their endeavours, both boats are now sinking. This is a God moment. And I want to say, if you want to see a breakdown in your compartmentalised life, you need a God moment in your life. You need a moment where God breaks in and does something extraordinary. I'm not just talking about going to church services. I'm talking about God meeting with you. It was a God thing. And that's why Peter acted the way he did. Here is Peter being ministered into the air, in the area of his own expertise. And he knows it's a God moment. Because he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He knows it's a God moment. Because first of all, he sees God-likeness in the whole thing. He sees omniscience. That's an all-knowing of God. God, who knows all, knows where all the fish are in the Sea of Galilee, is calling them into those nets. And he also sees another aspect of God, the omnipotence, because the catch is staggering. They, it says of them, they were astonished. Now, these are seasoned fishermen who have a very successful business with fishing. And yet they've never seen in their entire lives a catch like that one. It's a God moment. And we need to pray that God will break into our lives and give us God moment. And he sees Jesus in a different light. Go away from me, Lord. Notice he's not saying master, not rabbi, not instructor. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Why did he say that? As he can see, if this man Jesus, this God man Jesus, can look into the depths of Galilee and see where all the fish are, then he can look into the depths of his heart and see how depraved he is. Jesus truly is the boss, the Lord, in every area of life. He thought he had an area in his life where he could handle it quite fine. He was quite professional. He was quite good at it. He'd done it many, many times. He thought that was all that was necessary. Yes, this part of his life, Jesus could have. But this part of his life, he needed to have. Compartmentalizing his life. He'd been reluctant to let Jesus in to that area. 
because it was the area of his expertise. And he says, I am a sinful man. That brings a definition of sinfulness that's different. What's he done? He'd done something bad? No, he hadn't. He just left God out of it. Sin is using the I in the middle of S-I-N. Living the I life. It's living the life for me the way I believe it should be run. It's a God-less life rather than a God-filled life. And in that moment when he sees this God thing taking place, he sees his own spiritual bankruptcy. He needs Jesus. Now, what was it about this miracle, if I can put it this way, that was so different, that so impacted him? See, Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law just a few days earlier. He'd healed all these people who had been brought, all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. There was something about this miracle of the great catch that made Peter worship Jesus and surrender himself to him. And Jesus says something that's quite significant. He says to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You see, the issue was fear. What makes us compartmentalize our lives is fear. In the case of Peter, it was fear of not being able to supply, to provide for his family. Perhaps even the, the, the group of disciples. He saw himself as a kind of a provider. And he, here he was, afraid to leave what was his existing life occupation, which was a fishing, to follow Jesus. And it's a fundamental re reason why when we're called, we're not committed. Why? Because we ask the question, who's going to pay the bills? Is Jesus being able to be trusted beyond being a teacher, beyond being a prophet, beyond being a miracle worker? Is he also the all-sufficient one who can provide in all circumstances? Now, I'm not saying that God wants to take you into full-time ministry, and that's full commitment. No, it's not that. It's trusting Jesus in every area. Suddenly you find yourself sometimes in circumstances where you do not have that regular income. I remember resigning from Preston. There was three months when I was without income. I also found out I couldn't claim the dole because I'd been self-employed up till about a year before and it ruled me out. So suddenly I was without income. There was still the mortgage to pay. There was still practicalities to be done what could we do I remember saying to the Lord because I felt the Lord saying to me no I did I worked for three months for Lancaster City Council as a director of administration in that period I went and got a job um, within about two or three weeks and the Lord provided this work it was amazing provision and then God said to me stop I want you to spend the next few months simply waiting upon me for the next stage what I want to do in your life and I said I remember because I was at a conference at the time and I said Lord who's going to provide them who's going to pay the mortgage you've got to come to a place whether it's redundancy whether it's sickness that deprives us whether it's other where we can trust God to be the provider in all circumstances and then the second fear that he had was a fear of missing out he was a class act fisherman. He knew what he did. He, he was successful in his business. 
And there's always that thing, isn't it, about fishermen? Get the next big fish. I caught one this big, then that big, that big. And Peter was always fearful of missing out on something. But that day, he caught the biggest catch he would ever catch. He was never going to miss out because God gave him that special catch. And that was left on the beach. We have no record of him selling it, doing anything with it. He simply walks away from the biggest catch he'd ever had in his life. Why? Because fear of missing out had been dealt with. I will make you fishers of men. There was the fear of starting a new career. Yes, when Jesus had first called him in Mark 1, 16 and 17, he said, I'll make you fishers of men there. And there'd been a fear of this thing. I mean, after all, who's to say he's going to be any good at it? But that day he lost his fear of starting a new career because he could see the one who had provided in such a marvelous way would also be the one who sustained him. And when he put out the net on the day of Pentecost, he caught the biggest catch. <laughs> 5,000 men and women came to know the Lord. Finally, there was the fear of unworthiness. And I tell you, that's in us, all of us, isn't it? Well, we fear we're not up to it. Maybe today as you're listening to me, you're thinking, well, it's all right talking about being involved versus being committed. But I'm not really that kind of person. I mean, what can I bring that's so special? What can God use me for because I'm so limited in what I can bring? And there's a fear of unworthiness. But he's involved, Peter's involved in the greatest business of all, and that's kingdom building. And when God calls you from just being involved to being committed, he gets you involved in kingdom building. Not everybody will do the same thing. Not everybody's platform oriented. Not everybody's doing this or that. But everybody is called to be a kingdom builder, part of the kingdom. And that's an amazing thing to do. As I said... This passage isn't teaching us that we're to be full-time to follow Jesus properly. But for our calling to become a mature commitment. Following Jesus will mean that we have to have that God moment. If there's one thing I'm going to do in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand as an indication that you want God to give you a God moment in your life. One of those significant times when God breaks in. And does something so extraordinary involving you and in your life that you know you've met with the Lord and you can walk away and do what he wants you to do. But we've got to realize, first of all, that we're inadequate. And we have needs. And God knows that. And he still calls us. And he still draws us to be who he wants us to be. It also indicates that we've got to believe that Jesus is an all-sufficient saviour. What needs have you got? Is he capable of meeting those needs? Is he able to be the person in your life that will be sufficient for everything that you have? Scripture also implies that if we're going to follow Jesus, there will be some forsaking of things, inevitably. Whenever we follow Jesus, he'll always ask us to leave something behind because we can't carry in our hands all that we could possibly carry, the stuff that we've past as well as that which he's calling us into.
The call had been the same. I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. But the commitment was different. Why? Because Jesus stepped into their world and showed himself to be God. I think we can live our Christian lives in a very safe and secure environment of a nice church, good meetings, nice things, good friends, and never touch the raw dynamic of the Lord. Never touch that place where God breaks into our life and we suddenly are aware that we are out of control. We'll get this mobile in a moment. We're out of control. It's outside of our remit. God isn't doing things like we wanted him. He's not a perfect gentleman any longer. He's breaking into our lives. Jesus didn't just step into the boat. He stepped into Peter's life. And he wrecked it. All of my walls break down. Castles in the air all melt away. A fire of hope is lit deep within and peace comes to my soul. And try as I may, I just don't understand it. Why he loved me. Or why he did it all. By rest insecure. I rest secure in the love that I found. And I'm so blessed to belong to my Lord. Are you willing to step out? Are you willing to say, Lord, I don't want to be in a compartmentalized place any longer. I want you to step into my life. I don't just want you to step into my pulpit, as it were. And he will do that. Your pulpit might be an airline seat. It might be a, a, a seat in the coffee bar. It might be... Over the garden fence of your neighbor, God will ask you to speak. But he wants to do more than that. He wants to become the one who generates in you the work of building the kingdom. Will you do that? Will you become part of what God wants to do and break down your walls and let him be Lord? Let's bow in prayer, shall we? In just a moment, I'm going to pray for anyone who's going to stand in response to this message this morning and say to you, Lord, I want you to do a God thing in me so that my walls are broken down and you have me lock, stock and barrel. You have me all. And if you know that that's what you know you need to do today, I want you to stand where you are. As an indication, you're saying to the Lord, step into my life and do a God thing. Thank you. Do a God thing. I've had it nice and comfortable. I felt I know my limits and I know my advantages, but Lord, today I'm saying, break down my walls. I want to live compartmentalized. I want to live committed. In Jesus' name I prayed. Father, for every single person who is standing before you and is saying, Lord, we are crying out for a God thing to happen in us and in our lives that will so fasten on to us, Lord, we will never be the same again. Just like Peter, 
never go back. Yes, he went back fishing when he lost his way a bit. But God brought him back again. Jesus brought him back with the same thing. Reminded him that he could be Lord of every area. I pray for my brothers and sisters standing before you. And each one of us, Lord, myself, that you will do something in my life and in my brothers and sisters' lives that will mark us, brand us, make us people that will have the mark of fire and, and ownership on our lives. We'll never be the same again. We cry out to you. We pray in these coming days, in these coming weeks, that you will do that work in us. I ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you all.